Hi, it's Mercy Chavez. Usually I don't do it tonight, but I have a long, busy schedule tomorrow, so let me see if I can get one out of the way tonight. Uh, today, I want to talk a little bit about Yom Shalayim and Israel and Zionism in general. As I've been mentioning a couple of days and had an idea I wanted to share. This is being sponsored by Monty Steckler, I guess from Montreal, uh, who is um, wrote to me, you know, he, he, I guess he must be younger. He doesn't remember when Yerushalayim was first captured by the Israelis, um, but he's heard about it. And anyway, first of all, thank you. And second of all, I want to use this as an excuse to talk about my work. I just want to share an idea <clears throat> that I mentioned somewhere the other day in connection with the theological problems that are connected with Zionism, with Israel altogether. Uh, although God has a funny sense <clears throat> because... Take a look at Yerushalayim. So the Israelis captured it, so everything should be great. And of course, I'm old enough to remember, I was a little kid when it happened. It was all a big deal, naturally. And people could rush over to Kotel and all this, naturally. And this tourists all came, and the Arabs were scared at that time. The Arabs were scared. But things, you know, in the 50, 60 years since then, <clears throat> were hanging on by the fingernails, that's the truth. You know, who's got the Harabayas, who's got this, they're afraid to march with flags. As I'm speaking tonight on Saturday night in America, who knows what's going to be in Israel tomorrow if the Hamas are nuts, you know, they shoot rockets, this, that, and the other. Anyway, you know what I mean. So, when I was very young, and it was right after the Six-Day War, uh, there were people who were very uh, super confident, uh, especially hardcore Mizrahi types, and they wanted to get rid of... Uh, of uh, what do you say, Nachem on Tishabov? And, you know, it's a whole big deal and all the rest of it. It was triumphalist. Nobody's triumphalist anymore, as far as I know. We're glad we hold on to Yerushalayim, whatever we can. And it's not like you don't need Mashiach, you understand? <laughs> Nobody, Nobody's uh, thinking along those lines. I think there were some people who, you know, were drunk with victory and said, okay, we, well, you know, Kochiba, we can handle this on our own. Nobody thinks like that today. We, we, we're holding on to every bit of Yerushalayim we can. The Arabs are trying to do whatever they can against us. And everybody knows it. <clears throat> but I'll tell you what I was thinking of. Uh, everybody knows that the Satmar and others, like that, made a big deal. That the whole thing, the whole Israel's trafe, because of what they call the Shalash Shavuos. Okay, the three O's. And this is an Agatha Medrash. Most of us know from the Gemara and Kesubis at the end. 111, Kofi Vralf. It's also in the Shir Sherem, in the Medrash over there, because it's Ishpati, Eschem, Benos, Yerushalayim, Im Toirivim, Toros, Abbas, Shatechbats. So it's basically saying, don't let the love, you know, uh, how should I say this in polite company, don't let the love uh, go all the way until I tell you. Right? Until I tell you. So, um, based on that, in the Gothic fashion, I'm looking at the Gemara, because it was at the end, <clears throat> it said that there was Shalosh Shavuot, that Hashem made three oaths. That is to say, <clears throat> Hashem was Majubia, the human beings, and, and, and compelled them to make three Shavuot. Two the Jews, one the Gaim. Um, what was the Jews? The Gemara says, Shalosh Shavuot, Halo Olama, Achas Shalosh Yala Yisrael B'choma, V'achas Sheshbi Shalosh Yimr Dibu Mishalom. So one is they shouldn't go b'choma. 
and a big wall, which has usually been interpreted to mean don't cry, don't try to conquer Israel. So, uh, you know, without getting into any details, I'm sure there's a literature on the literal nitty gritty details. But you know, um, should they try to build up the country, you know, in a, in a in a in a united way? Should the Jewish people move in mass form to Israel? Should they fight the Goyim? The other one is They shouldn't rebel against the Goyim. <clears throat> and so, the argument would be that if you try to set up a state of Israel, especially as the Satmar says over and over again, the Satmar Rebbe, the Arabs don't agree. You know, maybe get the UN, but the Arabs don't agree. Then you're violating this. The Achas, but one Shavua, Hashem was Mashbir Goyim. That's very interesting. I'll say it again. The God was Majbia the Goyim, the Umas Olam, Shalo Yishtabu Behembi Israel, Yosemidai. They shouldn't be Mishtabed. They shouldn't uh, enslave or something like that. Uh, the, the Jews, Yosemidai, more than necessary. To notice the Jews will be in Golis, and as a result, they'll be. Subject to the Goyim, but they shouldn't subjugate them too much. That's the Lushan over here. Now, as, without going into the side question of this literal, not really, you know, like when was this show taking place, I, I, I want to deal within it. Ever since a kid, I heard, and I'll tell you, I was thinking of this because number one, you know, number two is Bechukosai, it's Tokocha. Ever since I'm a kid, so I heard people say like this. You can't go and make Israel. On the other hand, the guy got to keep their end of it, which is and look at the Holocaust. So in other words, what happened by Hitler was a violation of that because it's six million. That's that's not what Hashem had in mind. He meant that they should persecute them, you know, moderately. As we would say today, discriminate against the Jews. There's okay, the law is used in a ghetto. Uh, they can't own land. You know, all the kind of things that used to be once... Long ago, let's say, for example, the Middle Ages, or in a Muslim country, where the Jew is a third-class citizen, under the Pact of Omar, and so they can't be uppity and this and that and the other. That's okay. Yosemite is not okay, <clears throat> and so Hitler was an example of Yosemite. Now, mind you, it's understandable that when I was growing up, such an idea would be expressed because that was a generation after the Holocaust. Survivors, people like that. Everybody said Hitler was the Tokacha. Or something like that. I'm not saying they're saying Badafka or they know, but that was certainly was Yosemite. Okay, yes, certainly Yosemite. So they don't keep their part, we don't keep our part. Now I know the Satmar claim one has nothing to do with the other. You know, just because they don't keep their part doesn't mean we have to keep our part. But usually the way you understand it is, or the argument is made is, is quid pro quo. There were three O's and you keep your part and you keep your part. But it always bothered me, simply because you can't, I mean, I could force it into the Lushan, Shlo Yishtab the Yosemi died at the show of the Holocaust, that Mishtab the Yosemi died. But it's not that, it's, they killed us. That's, that's Ritzicha. It's not Mishtab the Yosemi died. Over the years, I formed a different opinion. And that's what I will share with you now by way of a dry talk. I don't say this is long, but I think, to me, it's interesting. It has to do with the modern era because the whole Zionist movement in Israel and everything else is a product of the modern era. When did it happen in the earlier centuries? 
The whole business started in the 1880s, 1890s, till today. Now, um, I'll tell you what I mean. The Jewish, and I'm influenced by this, by um, something I was going to do as a podcast, but I didn't. Maybe another time. And that is this very famous, often quoted, I don't think often read, Meshachachma, about the Gaulas. I'll use shorthand. Everybody's heard the shorthand where he says, Berlin is Yerushalayim. But I don't think anybody's read the whole thing. It was very interesting. And I read it because I got this new set and I was just in the mood. I haven't seen it in years. I read it, reread it. And he's talking about what's God's plan for the for the Gullahs and the Jewish people going through this uh, whole cycle of uh, being in a country, flourishing, then breaking down, being kicked out and going, having to start all over again and things like that. And the fundamental existential problem the Meshach addresses for the Jewish people in Gullahs is how do you go into Gullahs? What did God have in mind? You can look it up yourself. This is not me talking. This is him talking. He said, what was the Hashkacha plan? Hashem, obviously, looking back with, with uh, retrospect, has decreed long ago that the Kali Yisrael should be in Gullahs at least 2,000 years, because now it's 2,000 years. I don't know how long more it's supposed to be. But 2,000 years, I think we can say pretty uh, clearly, right? 1,900 and something. <clears throat> this was, a, in retrospect, this was a, a Xera. <clears throat> the problem is, if the punishment of Jews in exile, if that's the punishment, but it's supposed to be that somehow or other it's mechaper or it's mitzaref or something like that, what do you do with the problem of the assimilation where if the Jews are in Gullahs for a long time, it's only natural they're going to be destroyed by intermarriage? Things like that. So what do you do about that? That's the interesting um, question that preoccupies the Meshachachma. I want to say this. However it worked out, in the course of the Middle Ages, which is a thousand years or more, and I would say all the way up to the French Revolution, so let's say roughly from the year 70 to the year 1770 or so, so without going into too many details, wherever the Jews were, they kind of kept their own identity, and um, didn't intermarry, to put it in blunt terms. Overall, I didn't say everybody was Shomer Shabbos, I didn't say everybody was Hatsi Tatsi, but wherever in Europe, in the Muslim countries, in Italy, in Spain, in, 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 in Holland, and Turkey, and so forth and so on, usually they didn't intermarry. They kept their group identity. And that way, it's possible, sooner or later, maybe another door, maybe another door, that people will do like it says in the Bible and eventually they'll repent and you'll get a gaula. You know, the, the children, the grandchildren, the great-grand, somewhere down the line. However, let's say, for example, all the Jews in this place all married guy, especially the men. Then you defeated God's plan because there's no Jews left. Meaning if all the guys married chicks, then there's, then, then there's nobody left, you know what I mean, to, for the plan to work because they're not Jewish. You see what I'm saying? Now, listen, I'm not God, so, you know, maybe I share in some way. But going the best we can see, if it if the Jewish community disintegrates as a result of of uh, assimilation, especially in intermarriage, then, 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 then the whole thing was a failure, okay? And it's supposed to be that when God does something, it's not a failure. Now, here's my point. 
If you go up, let's say, for example, roughly to the French Revolution, the relationship of the government to the Jews was, you're not a member of our country, you're an alien foreign group, we're allowing you to live here for our own reasons, as they used to say, of service and on sufferance. Of service means we're allowing you to live in our country because we figure you're good for the economy or something like that. So as you're doing, we're benefiting from you being here. But on sufferance, which means sufferance in the sense, the old English sense, by toleration. In other words, I can kick you out whenever I want. You're here as long as I let you be here, and I'm only letting you be here because it's good for me. And as soon as I don't feel like it, I'm kicking you out, and you don't have any tightness on me. Now, from the point of view of a Christian, you guys killed Jesus or something like that, or you rejected him, or however you however you want to say that they understand it. I have no reason to let you here. Right? We're a different religion. By our religious standards, you guys are bad. You you mock our religion anyway, which was true. Why would you let why would let we we let why would you um why would we let you be here? It's a fair point, right? It's a fair point. And so if the Jews nevertheless, quite remarkably, were allowed in most of the Christian countries in the Middle Ages, for example, it's kind of interesting. Why would they do that? Why would the Pope allow Jews in Rome? He's the head of the church. The church would be better off. There should be no Jews here. And in point of actual fact, if you're a historian, you'll know that the Kasha better than the terrorists, meaning that if you survey the Jewish situation throughout the Middle Ages, little by little, they were in this country and in that country and this kingdom and that kingdom, and then eventually they were kicked out. You could actually draw a map and put dates on it. The Jews were expelled from England in 1290, from France in 1306, and a little bit later in other places, as you know and I know from Spain in 1492 and Portugal in 1497, from a good deal of Italy over the course of the same times. Um, they go to Germany, the Holy Roman Empire. You can simply you know, say the Jews were expelled from this. The Holy Roman Empire was a bunch of different separate states. And so the Jews were kicked out of this part of Germany in this year. They were exterminated in that country in that year, like the uh, what's it called, like the Mordechai. They were, uh, you know, kicked out of this place in this year. So by the time you get, for example, to the year fifteen hundred, eh, very few places in Germany where the Jews were permitted to live. I would say ninety percent of the country, at least, Jews are already kicked out of. And the same is true elsewhere. Okay. Hungary, if you know the history. And so, by the time you get to the what we call the end of the Middle Ages, as I say, the Kasha has been in the terrorists, it really didn't make sense for Christian countries to allow Jews in there and to operate and flourish as Jews. And they talk to close down the, 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 the business sooner or later. Sooner or later. The Jews of Europe, the Ashkenazi, ended up in the kingdom of Poland, where conditions were unusual. And there it worked out for, you know, a whole wide variety of reasons. Even though Poland, or the Polish Empire in Eastern Europe, was Christian, but it's an unusual situation. And they also ran away to the Turkish Empire, which was Muslim. But you have the same problem with the Turks. Why did the Muslims allow the Jews in there? After all, number one, the Jews don't believe in Muhammad. And number two, the Jews actually make fun of Muhammad. And the Arabs weren't stupid about that. So it's true that in the Arab religion and the Quran. It says that, that the Jews and Christians are people of both. And since they believe in God, they just have a screwed up monotheism. In other words, that's the way the Muslims look at the Jews. It's a screwed up monotheism. So since they're not Mamash of David you can let them live as long as they're third class citizens. Uh, but at the end of the day, even by the Muslim, it didn't make sense. 
Why allow these people here Bechal? And in many places in the Islamic world, here, there, and elsewhere, they talk they kick the Jews out, for example, the Arabian Peninsula early on. They said no Jews can stay and be Jewish in what you and I today call Saudi Arabia. It would be Matami, the land. Um, I get it from their point of view. So why did they allow here and there flourishing Jewish communities? It's an interesting question. Right? It's an interesting question. Now, whatever reason happened, they did. <clears throat> but they always did in such a way <clears throat> that Jews were like legally segregated, and sometimes they had to live in their own neighborhoods. They actually had their own autonomous coercive communities because the guy wanted that way to control the Jews better. Even though the Jews liked it because it enabled the Jews to have a better group identity and a, and a more formal communal structure. But this is the way things were for a long, long time. My point is, the Goyim didn't try to make the Jews un-Jewish. They said, if you want to be Jewish, be Jewish. The only thing is, we might pressure you to become like us, Christians or Goyim or Muslims. But most of the time, the Jews were not compelled to convert, okay, with exceptions. Now, let's start with the French Revolution in the modern era. What happened was that the European nations, starting with the French, changed their attitude towards the Jews, or to be more, a to be more accurate, they changed their attitude towards what modern statehood is, and came to regard it as a secular entity instead of a Christian entity. It started with the France, but it spread slowly across the 19th century to the other countries of Europe. And as a corollary of that, it became the feeling of the Europeans that you can't discriminate against the Jews on the basis of the fact they have a different religion. Therefore, you have to give the Jews complete and total civil rights. They hated having to do that. They held their nose and did it. The French, the fairies said, we're holding our nose and doing it. And believe me, the Germans, the Austrians, the Hungarians, they all did it holding their nose. But they said it's necessary to have a modern secular country and a modern efficient economy and things like that. Okay. But if they're going to give the Jews complete and total civil rights, they wanted a quid pro quo. And what they said was, I guess, you have to uh, change your nature. Uh, we want you to assimilate, consider yourselves part of our national identity. If you're French now, you got to be French. Uh, you should regard France as your primary place. Germany later is your primary place, and all that sort of thing. And in general, we want you, instead of shalolushinus, instead of saying shaloshinus lushonum, shmom, loshinus mabushom, the Europeans said, you have to be mishan levush. You have to mishan the lotion. You have to mishan the shame and all the rest of it. Now, each European country did it in its own way. But overall, they put a pressure on the Jews. And for better or worse, the Jews succumbed. And as a result, the Jews underwent a radical transformational change in terms of culture. And to use the simple language for the purposes of this podcast, to oversimplify it, this is when everybody became not from. Right? How did it happen that long, long ago everybody was from, and then not? This is how it happened. Okay? It's part of what we call the processes of modernity. Now, it's aided by the Industrial Revolution and the, uh, what do you call it, the uh, urbanization, 
It's aided by the rise of the modern educational system. Is you know new ideas, the, the new philosophies, and the historicism and all the rest of it. It's true. Taken as a whole, modern Westernism, I'll call it that, taken as a whole, did a number on the Jews because what they did was they said, we're willing to give you the civil rights, but there are there's a price you have to pay. And the Jews, Ruben Kakula, were willing to pay the price. So there's no longer your own autonomous kehillas. Uh, there's no longer one thing you cannot have is your cultural insularity. Uh, and the Jews were willing to do that. This is the century when, instead of all the kids being raised and only knowing Jewish stuff and not the Gaisha things, they began the process of the reversal of that, such as we have today for most Jews in the world, in which they know the Gaisha stuff, but they know the Jewish. They're quite familiar because they have a college education with the outside culture. The Jewish culture is what they don't know, you see? Which is a radical change from what it used to be earlier in Jewish history. These are part of the basic trends of modernity. Now, there are the Orthodox and the few, you know, that for various reasons and in various ways kind of re resisted that to some degree. But Rove will call Israel did not. Okay? At the time Zionism began, which is the late 1800s, uh, this process was well underway. And the hemorrhaging out, let's say in Eastern Europe and Central Europe, from the ranks of the front was constant. Nobody knew how to stop it. It's true, the Orthodox Jews were kind of stupid, you know, and they were against day schools in many places, and definitely they were against Beis Yaakov. So, oh my goodness. You know, the big Hasidic groups that were really against the Beis Yaakov idea or anything like that. So, you know, they made mistakes and whatever. But nevertheless, these are fundamental sweeping trends that, you know, characterize the Jewish experience of modernity. You cannot deny it. And so what I'm trying to say is as follows. The Umas Olam, starting around 1800, said to the Jews for the first time something that they hadn't said before, which is, we want you to change the way you think in your brain. Otherwise, we won't give you civil rights and equality. And the Jews said, okay. Now, I'm talking about most Jews. And so, as you know, when the Reform Movement, for example, started and other things like this, you have to get rid of any reference to Mashiach, to Tzion, to anything, Shiva Tzion, that you should uh, celebrate Tishavah as a day of, of sadness, all that sort of thing. And uh, the Jews were willing to do it. Ruba Kakula. They were willing to do it. They said that you should, you know, adopt, for example, um, our ideas of what's right and wrong, which is a problem, major problem we have today uh, in modern culture, in, in, in what the mores are, especially the sexual ones. Like you get in trouble if you don't go along. And in area after area, so that the Jews that did go along, which was Rove, really were mishubad to foreign ideas. They wouldn't even recognize that. And they wouldn't agree that they're Meshubah foreign ideas, they held it their own ideas. In fact, if the Jews pick them up, they make them even more intense. So the main people pushing, you know, a lot of ideas of modernity in a very anti-Jewish, and very certain anti-Torah way, as we know, we're born Jewish. So to my mind, I'm thinking, I'm looking at this Gemara and it said, 
that Kaddish Baruch Hu should be assumed to all of Shloi Shtab Yisrael Yosemi died. To my opinion, it's very meduk. You should not be mishabed Yisrael Yosemi died. You shouldn't subjugate them too much. What is the meaning of Yosemi died? So, I think it means like this: physically subjugate people, you can do, and that's was the that was the the fate of the Jews all during the Middle Ages and afterwards. You're physically subjugated. You know, you're, you're subject to all kind of rules which reflect the fact that you're not citizens. But don't get into somebody's head into mind. If you say, we want to tell you how to define Judaism, which after all is what Reform Judaism is, for example. The government are telling the Jews how to define Judaism and the Jews are going along with it. For you to tell us how to define who we are, that's Mishabed Yosemidai. And it's remarkable to me that just around the time when this really kicked in, you see a counter move where all of a sudden people say, let's go up, let's go back to Israel and build up a country. Even if they weren't from. You see, like, to my mind, a mystical, you know, divine thing, which is, oh, they're not doing their part, so we're going to, so, we're, we're, so the old thing doesn't apply anymore. Because it's, it's a powerful coincidence that at the same time, one happened, the other happened. And notice, as long as the guy were not being Meshav, the Jews, the Yosem, we die. Lamaisa, Lamaisa, the Jews didn't really think about going back to Eretz Yisrael. I mean, they said it, but, you know, it wasn't real. At the time that the guy start being Meshav, the Yosem, we die, we want you to think the way we do. And, and notice, we want to own your mind. And I hate to tell you, with all these uh, Jews today, uh, the guy owned their mind, they don't get it. Think, for example, about a Jew who's leading the BDS or something like this, or anti-Israel. They're fooling themselves to thinking that they'll be appreciated when the bad guys take over. They'll go after them also because they're also Jewish. You understand? We know this. And so, they don't know it. So if I spoke to a very liberal Jew of that certain mindset, they would be angry at me and they would say, we're not Meshubah to somebody. This is what we really hold. They don't hop that they're being controlled. You understand? Because their entire upbringing and educational system has been a certain type of brainwashing in a certain direction, which is not identical with the Jewish direction, certainly not a Torah uh, uh, um, direction. Now, these things are obvious to all of us, but I don't think most people connect it with what we call the Shol Shavuos, and I don't think anybody connects it in my mind with the idea, you can physically subjugate them, but don't mentally subjugate them. That's what it means to me. That's what, at this age of my life, that's what it means to me. And when you do, then don't be surprised if the Jews are Yalek Homo. And don't be surprised if the Jews are Marbumas Olam in the sense that we just said. Um, I, I can't know I'm right. Now, obviously, there are bigger people that know better than me that you know have written differently. But I can only share with you what what, what strikes me. And on a day like this, was you know, what's the the, the um, anniversary of when the Jews capture each line? They do and they don't, which reflects the fact that we have a goal. We don't, you know, we do and we don't. Uh, it's it's it behooves us, I think, to have mature reflection on these kind of issues. Because as I said the other day, if people don't recognize their own subjugation, uh, they don't, then that's the worst kind of gullus. Because you're in gullus, you don't even have to, you're in gullus.
uh, you know, if the, the person who's brainwashed doesn't admit that he's brainwashed, doesn't recognize it. And at least we should recognize the historical processes, which began, as they would say before, in the late 1700s and really picked up steam in the 1800s and 1900s, which resulted in the That is not what Hitler did. That's not the Shoah. That's not the Holocaust. That's something else. And that's why I didn't really like the one who makes that argument. I think the overall westernization process, which certainly did not have to assume the form it did, but nevertheless historically did assume the form it did, I think that would fit better with the, in the lotion of the uh, of the Shavuos, and then the Gaim have overdone it. Uh, now, the Meshachachim, by the way, says, and this is, he quotes a famous Chazal. Yeah, here it is, I found, uh, I highlighted the other day, where he's saying, Yalf me kakalta below Yalf me tekanta. Yeah, all right. So it's Gemara and Sanhedrin. Which means that when the Jews do pick this up, very often they pick up the worst habits of the guy, not the best. It's not everybody became a, a Nobel Prize winning scientist. We see that the Jews, many of them, not all of them, of course, not of course, uh, got involved in the worst aspects of the Geisha culture. I don't want to say too much on a podcast, but you know, the worst aspects of American life, let's say, not the best aspects of American life. I'll leave it at that. And um, that's very powerful. So anyway, I just wanted to share, like I say, for mature reflection, uh, that you, those into Yom Yerushalayim, it's not just a question of remembering what were things like back in 1967, but what's more pertinent, what's more gay is uh, that whole genre, that whole way of thinking, What's it like, and how how does how do we stand with it today? And uh, that I think requires a sober reflection on uh, the themes that I just adumbrated. Anyway, that's what I wanted to say. I want to thank once again Stecker Family for uh, sponsoring this, and with that, I wish everybody a uh, by me. It's good night. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history.